Chapter forty three Mary Marston. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mary Marston by George MacDonald. Chapter forty three Mary and Mr. Redmain. A few rudiments of righteousness lurked in their original undevelopment, but still in a measure active in the being of Mr. Redmain. There had been in the soul of his mother, I suspect, a strain of generosity, and she had left a mark of it upon him, and it was the best thing about him. But in action these rudiments took an evil shape. Preferring inferior company, and full of that suspicion which puts the last edge upon what the world calls knowledge of human nature, he thought no man his equal in penetrating the arena of motive, and reading actions in the light of motive, and that the fundamental principle of all motive was self-interest, he assumed to be beyond dispute. With this candle, not that of the Lord, he searched the dark places of the soul, but where the soul was light, his candle could show him nothing, served only to blind him yet further, if possible, to what was there present. And because he did not seek the good, never yet in all his life had he come near enough to a righteous man, to recognise that in something or other that man was different from himself. As for woman, there was his wife, of whom he was willing to think of well as she would let him, and she firmly, did he believe, was an angel beside sepia, of whom, bad as she was, it's quite possible he thought yet worse than she deserved. Alas for the woman who is not good and falls under the judgment of a bad man. The good woman he can no more hurt than the serpent can bite the adamant. He believed he knew Sepia's self, although he did not know her history, and he scorned her the more that he was not a hair better himself. He had regard enough for his wife, and what virtue his penetration conceded her, to hate their intimacy, and ever since his marriage had been scheming how to get rid of Sepia, only, however, through finding her out. He must unmask her. There would be no satisfaction in getting rid of her without his wife's convinced acquiescence. He had been, therefore, almost all the time more or less on the watch, to uncover the wickedness he felt sure lay at no great depth beneath her surface, and in the meantime, and for the sake of this end, he lived on terms of decent domiciliation with her. She had no suspicion how thin was the crust between her and the lava. In Cornwall, he began at length to puzzle himself about Mary. Of course, she was just like the rest but he did not at once succeed in fitting what he saw to what he entirely believed of her. She remained, like Sepia, a riddle to be solved. He was not so ignorant as his wife concerning the relations of the different classes, and he felt certain there must be some reason, of course a discreditable one, for her leaving her former and taking her present position. The attack he had in Cornwall afforded him unexpected opportunity of making her out, as he called it. Upon this occasion, it was also that Mary first ventured to expostulate with her mistress on her neglect of her husband. She heard her patiently, and the same day, going to his room, paid him some small attention, handed him his medicine, I believe, but clumsily, because ungraciously. The next moment, one of his fits of pain coming on, he broke into such a torrent of cursing as swept her in stately dignity from the room. She would not go near him again. "'Brought up as you have been, Mary,' she said, "'you cannot enter into the feelings of one in my position, "'to whom the very tone, even of coarse language, is unspeakably odious. "'It makes me sick with disgust. 
coarseness is what no lady can endure. I beg you will not mention Mr. Redmain to me again. Dear Mrs. Redmain, said Mary, ugly as such language is, there are many things worse. It seems to me worse that a wife should not go near her husband when he is suffering than that he should in his pain speak bad words. She had been on the point of saying that a thin skin was not purity, but bethought herself in time. "'You are scarcely in a position to lay down the law for me, Mary,' said Hesper. "'We will, if you please, drop the subject.' Mary's words were overheard, as was a good deal in the house more than was reckoned on, and reached Mr. Redmain, whom they perplexed. What could the young woman hope from taking his part? One morning after the arrival of Mewkes, his man, Mary heard Mr. Redmain calling him, in a tone which betrayed that he had been calling for some time. The house was an old one, and the bells were neither in good trim, nor was his in a convenient position. She thought first to find Mewkes, but pity rose in her heart. She ran to Mr. Redmain's door, which stood half open, and showed herself. "'Can I not do something for you, sir?' she said. "'Yes, you can. "'Go and tell that lumbering idiot to come to me instantly. "'No, here, you. "'There's a good girl. "'Oh, damn. "'Just give me your hand and help me to turn an inch or two. "'Change of posture relieved him a little. "'Thank you,' he said. "'That is better. "'Wait a few moments, will you? "'Till the rascal comes.' "'Mary stood back a little behind him thinking not to annoy him with the sight of her. "'What are you doing there?' he cried. "'I like to see what people are about in my room. "'Come in front here. Let me look at you.' Mary obeyed, and with a smile that took the position he pointed out to her. Immediately followed another agony of pain, in which he looked beset with demons, whom he not feared but hated. Mary hurried to him, and in the compassion which she inherited long back of Eve, took his hands, the fingers of which were twisting themselves into shapes like tree-roots. With a hoarse roar, he dashed hers from him, as if it had been a serpent. She returned to her place and stood. "'What did you mean by that?' he said when he came to himself. "'Do you want to make a fool of me?' Mary did not understand him and made no reply. Another fit came. This time she kept her distance. "'Come here!' he howled. Take my head in your hands, she obeyed. Damn nice hands you've got, he gasped. Much nicer than your mistress's. Mary took no notice. Gently she withdrew her hands, for the fit was over. I see, that's the way of you, he said as she stepped back. But come now, tell me, how is it that a nice, well-behaved, handsome girl like you should leave a position where they tell me you were your own mistress? and take a cursed place as lady's maid to my wife. It was because I liked Mrs. Redmain so much, answered Mary. But indeed I was not very comfortable where I was. What the devil did you see to like in her? I never saw anything. She's so beautiful, said Mary. Is she? Ho, <laughs> ho, he laughed. What is that to another woman? You are new to the trade, girl. If you think that will go down... One woman taking to another because she's so beautiful. <laughs> he repeated Mary's words with an indescribable contempt, and his laugh was insulting to a degree, but it went off in a cry of suffering. 
hypocrisy mustn't be too barefaced he resumed then again his torture abated i didn't make you stop to amuse me it's little of that this beastly world has got for me come a better reason for waiting on my wife that she was kind to me said mary maybe a better reason but it's not a truer it's more than she ever was to me what wages does she give you we have not spoken of that yet sir you haven't had any i haven't wanted any yet then what the deuce ever made you come to this house i hoped to be of some service to mrs redmain said mary growing troubled and you ain't of any is that why you don't want wages no sir that's not the reason then what is the reason come trust me i will be much better to you than your mistress out with it i knew there was something i would rather not talk about it said mary knowing that her feeling in relation to hesper would be altogether incredible and the notion of it ridiculous to him you needn't mind telling me i know all about such things look here give me that pocket-book on the table mary brought him the pocket-book he opened it and taking from it some notes he held them out to her if your mistress won't pay you your wages i will there take that you're quite welcome what matter which pays you it all comes out of the same stocking foot i don't know yet answered mary whether i shall accept wages from mrs redmain something might happen to make it impossible or if i had taken money to make me regret it i like that there you keep a hold on her said mr redmain in a confidential tone while in his heart he was more puzzled than ever there's no occasion though for all that he went on to go without your money when you can have it and she be none the wiser there take it i swear you any oath you like not to tell my stingy wife she's not stingy said mary and if i don't take wages from her i certainly shall not from anyone else besides she added it would be dishonest oh that's the dodge said mr redmain to himself but aloud where would be the dishonesty when the money is mine to do with as i please where the dishonesty sir exclaimed mary astounded to take wages from you and pretend to mrs redmain i was going without oh the first time no doubt you ever pretended anything it would be said mary so far as i can at the moment remember go along cried mr redmain losing or pretending to lose patience with her you're too unscrupulous a liar for me to deal with mary turned and left the room as she went his keen glance caught the expression of her countenance and noted the indignant red that flushed her cheeks and the lightning of wronged innocence in her eyes i ought not to have said it he remarked to himself he did not for a moment fancy she had spoken the truth but the look of her went to a deeper place in him than he knew even the existence of hey stop he cried as she was disappearing come back will you i will find mr mewkes she answered and went after this mary naturally dreaded conference with mr redmain and he thinking she must have time to get over the offence he had given her made for the present no fresh attempt to come by her own aid at a bird's-eye view of her character and scheme of life his curiosity however being in no degree assaged concerning the odd human animal whose spore he had for the moment failed to track he meditated 
how best to renew the attempt in London. Not small, therefore, was his annoyance to find, a few days after his arrival, that she was no longer in the house. He questioned his wife as to the cause of her absence, and told her she was utterly heartless in refusing her leave to go and nurse her friend, whereupon Hesper, neither from desire to do right, nor from regard to her husband's opinion, but because she saw, or fancied she saw that, now Mary did not dress her, she no longer caused the same sensation on entering a room, resolved to write to her, as if taking it for granted she had meant to return as soon as she was able, and to prick the sides of this intent came another spur, as will be seen from the letter she wrote. Dear Mary, can you tell me what has become of my large sapphire ring? I have never seen it since you brought my case up with you from Cornwall. I have been looking for it all the morning, but in vain. You must have it. I shall be lost without it, for you know it is not its equal for colour and brilliance. I do not believe you intended for a moment to keep it, but only to punish me for thinking I could do without you. If so, you have your revenge, for I find I cannot do without either of you, you or the ring, so you will not carry the joke further than I can bear. If you cannot come at once, write and tell me it is safe, and I shall love you more than ever. I am dying to see you again. Yours faithfully, H.R. By this time, Letty was much better, and Tom no longer required such continuous attention. Mary, therefore, betook herself at once to Mr. Redmain's. Hesper was out shopping, and Mary went to her own room to wait for her, where she was glad of the opportunity of getting at some of the things she had left behind her. While she was looking for what she wanted, Sepia entered, and was, or pretended to be, astonished to see her, in a strange, sarcastic tone. "'Ah, oh, you there,' she said. "'I hope you will find it.' "'If you mean the ring, that is not likely, Miss Yolland,' Mary answered. Sepia was silent for a moment or two, then said, "'How is your cousin?' "'I have no cousin,' replied Mary. "'The person, I mean, you have been staying with.' "'Better, thank you.' "'Almost a pity, is it not, if there should come trouble about this ring?' "'I do not understand you. "'The ring will, of course, be found,' returned Mary." In any case, the blame will come on you. It was in your charge. The ring was in the case when I left. Oh, you will have to prove that. I remember quite well. That no one will question. Beginning at last to understand her insinuations, Mary was so angry she dared not speak. But it will hardly go to clear you, Sepia went on. Don't imagine I mean you have taken it. I'm only warning you how the matter will look, that you may be prepared. Mr. Redmain is one to believe the worst of the best people. I'm obliged to you, said Mary, but I'm not anxious. It is necessary you should know also, continued Sepia, that there is some suspicion attached to a female friend of yours as well, a young woman who used to visit you, the wife of the other, it is supposed. She was here, I remember. One night there was a party. I saw you together in my cousin's bedroom. She had just dressed and gone down. I remember, said Mary, it was Mrs. Helmer. Well, it, it's very unfortunate, certainly, but the truth must be told. A few days before you left, one of the servants, hearing someone in the house in the middle of the night, got up and went down, 
but only in time to hear the front door open and shut in the morning a hat was found in the drawing-room with the name thomas helmer in it that is the name of your friend's husband i believe i'm aware mr helmer was a frequent visitor said mary trying to keep cool for what was to come this that sepia told her was true enough though she was not accurate as to the time of its occurrence i will relate briefly how it came about upon a certain evening a few days before mary's return from cornwall tom would have gone to see miss yolland had he not known that she meant to go to the play with a mr hemmet a cousin of the redmains before the hour arrived however count galofta called and sepia went out with him telling the man who opened the door to ask mr emmet to wait the man was rather deaf and did not catch with certainty the name she gave mr emmet did not appear and it was late before sepia returned tom jealous even to hatred spent the greater part of his evening in a tavern on the borders of the city in gloomy solitude drinking brandy and water and building castles of the most foolish type for castles are as different as the men that build them. Through all the rooms of them glided the form of Sepia, his evil genius. He grew more and more excited as he built and as he drank. He rose at last, paid his bill, and, a little suspicious of his equilibrium, stalked into the street. There, almost unconsciously, he turned and walked westward. It was getting late. Before long the theatres would be emptying. He might have a peep of Sepia as she came out, but where was the good when that fellow was with her but thought tom growing more and more daring as in an adventurous dream why should i not go to the house and see her after he has left her at the door he went to the house and rang the bell the man came and said immediately that miss yolland was out but had desired him to ask mr helmer to wait whereupon tom walked in and up the stair to the drawing-room thence into a second and a third drawing-room and from the last into the conservatory the man went down and finished his second pint of ale from the conservatory tom finding himself in danger of havoc among the flower-pots turned back into the third room he threw himself on the couch and fell asleep he woke in the middle of the night in pitch darkness and it was some time before he could remember where he was when he did he recognized that he was in an awkward predicament but he knew the house well and would make the attempt to get out undiscovered it was foolish but tom was foolish feeling his way he knocked down a small table with a great crash of china and losing his equanimity rushed for the stair happily the hall lamp was still alight and he found no trouble with bolts or lock the door was not in any way secured the first breath of the cold night air brought with it such a gush of joy as he rarely experienced and he trod the silent streets with something of the pleasure of an escaped criminal, until, alas, the wind, at the first turning, let him know that he had left his hat behind him. He felt as if he had committed a murder, and left his card-case with the body. A vague terror grew upon him as he hurried along. Justice seemed following on his track. He found the door on the latch. If anything was missing, how should he explain the presence of his hat without his own? The devil of the brandy he had drunk was gone out of him, and only the grey ashes of its evil fire were left in his sick brain, but it had helped first to kindle another fire, which was now beginning to glow unsuspected, that of a fever whose fuel had been slowly gathering for some time. He opened the door with his pass-key and hurried up the stair, his long legs taking three steps at a time. 
Never before had he felt as if he were fleeing to a refuge when going home to his wife. He opened the door of the sitting-room, and there on the floor lay Letty and little Tom, as I have already told. "'Why have I heard nothing of this before?' said Mary. "'I'm not aware of any right you have to know what happens in this house.' "'Not from you, of course, Miss Yolland. Perhaps not from Mrs. Redmain. But the servants talk of most things, and I have not heard a word.' "'How could you?' interrupted Sepia, when you were not in the house. And so long as nothing was missed, the thing was of no consequence, she added. Now it's different. This confused Mary a little. She stopped to consider. One thing was clear, that if the ring was not lost till after she left, and of so much she was sure, it could not be Tom that had taken it, for he was then ill in bed. Some things to this effect she managed to say. "'I told you already,' returned Sepia, "'that I had no suspicion of him, at least. "'I desire to have none, but you may be required to prove all you say, "'and it is well to let you understand, "'though there is no reason why I should take the trouble, "'that your going to those very people at the time "'and their proving to be friends of yours adds to the difficulty.' "'How?' asked Mary. "'I am not on the jury,' replied Sepia with indifference. The scope of her remarks seemed to Mary intended to show that any suspicion of her would be only natural. For the moment the idea amused her. But Sepia's way of talking about Tom, whatever she meant by it, was disgraceful. "'I am astonished that you should seem so indifferent,' she said, "'if the character of a gentleman with whom you have been so intimate is so seriously threatened as you would imply.' I know he has been to see you more than once while Mr. and Mrs. Redmain were not yet returned. Sepia's countenance changed, an evil fire glowed in her eyes, and she looked at Mary as if she would search her to the bone. The poorer the character, the more precious the repute. The foolish fellow, she returned with a smile of contempt, chose to fall in love with me, a married man too. If you understood that, how did he come to be here so often? asked Mary, looking her in the face. But Sepia knew better than declare war a moment before it was unavoidable. "'Have I not just told you,' she said in a haughty tone, "'that the man was in love with me? And have you not just told me he was a married man? Could he have come to the house so often without at least your permission?' Mary was actually taking the upper hand with her. Sepia felt it was scarcely repressed rage. "'He deserved the punishment,' she replied with calmness. "'You do not seem to have thought of his wife.' "'Certainly not. She never gave me offence. "'Is offence the only ground for casting a regard on a fellow-creature? "'Why should I think of her? "'Cause she is your neighbour, and you are doing her a wrong.' "'Once for all, Marston,' cried Sepia, overcome at last. "'This kind of thing will not do with me. "'I may not be a saint, but I have honesty enough to know the genuine thing from humbug. "'You have thrown dust in a good many eyes in this house, but none in mine.' "'By this time Mary had got her temper quite in hand.' taking a lesson from the serpent, who will often keep his when the dove loses hers. She hardly knew what fear was, for she had in her something a little stronger than what generally goes by the name of faith. She was therefore able to see that she ought, if possible, to learn Sepia's object in talking thus to her. "'Why do you say all this to me?' she asked quietly. "'I cannot flatter myself it's from friendship.' "'Certainly not. But the motive may be worthy for all that. You are not the only one involved.' People who would pass for better than their neighbours will never believe any good purpose in one who does not choose to talk their slang. 
Sepia had repressed her rage, and through it looked aggrieved. She confesses to a purpose, said Mary to herself, and waited. They are not all villains who are not saints, Sepia went on. This man's wife is your friend? She is. Well, the man himself is my friend, in a sort of sense. A strange shiver went through Mary and seemed to make her angry. Sepia went on. I confess I allowed the poor boy. He is little more to talk foolishly to me. I was amused at first, but perhaps I have not quite escaped unhurt. And as a woman, you must understand that when a woman has once felt in that way, if but for a moment, she would at least be sorry. Here her voice faltered, and she did not finish the sentence, but began afresh. What I want of you is, through his wife, or any way you think best, to let the poor fellow know he had better slip away, to France, say, and stop there till the thing blow over. But why should you imagine he has anything to do with the matter? The ring will be found, and then the hat will not signify. Well, replied Sepia, putting on an air of openness, and for that sake an air of familiarity, I see I must tell you the whole truth. I never did for a moment believe Mr. Helmer had anything to do with the business, though when you put me out of temper I pretended to believe it, and that you were in it as well. That was mere irritation. But there is sure to be trouble, for my cousin is miserable about her sapphire, which she values more than anything she has. And, if it's not found, the affair will be put into the hands of the police, and then what will become of poor Mr. Helmer, be he as innocent as you and I believe him? But even if the judge should declare that he leaves the court without a blot on his character, Newgate mud is sure to stick, and he will be half looked upon as a thief for the rest of his days. The world is so unjust. Nor is that all, for they will put you in the witness-box, and make you confess the man an old friend of yours from the same part of the country, whereupon the counsel for the prosecution will not fail to hint that you ought to be standing beside the accused. Believe me, Mary that if Mr. Helmer is taken up for this, you will not come out of it clean. Still, you explain nothing, said Mary. You would not have me believe it is for my sake that you are giving yourself all this trouble. No, but I thought you would see where I was leading you, for, and now for the whole truth, although nothing can touch the character of one in my position, it would be worse than awkward for me to be spoken of in connection with the poor fellow's visits to the house, my honesty would not be called into question as yours would, but what is dear to me as my honesty might, nay, it certainly would. You see now why I came to you? You must go to his wife, or better still, to Mr. Helmer himself, and tell him what I have been saying to you. He will at once see the necessity of disappearing for a while. Mary had listened attentively. She could not help fearing that something worse than unpleasant might be at hand, but she did not believe in sepia, and in no case could consent that Tom should compromise himself. Danger of this kind must be met, not avoided. Still, whatever could be done ought to be done to protect him, especially in his present critical state. A breath of such a suspicion as this reaching him might be the death of him, and of Letty too. I will think over what you have said, she answered, but I cannot give him the advice you wish me. What I shall do, I cannot say. The thing has come upon me with such a shock. You have no choice that I see, said Sepia. It's either what I propose or ruin. I give you fair warning that I will stick at nothing where my reputation is concerned. You and yours shall be trod in the dirt before I allow a spot on my character. To Mary's relief, they were here interrupted by the hurried entrance of Mrs. Redmain. She almost ran up to her and took her by both hands. You dear creature, 
"'You have brought me my ring,' she cried. Mary shook her head with a little sigh. "'But you have come to tell me where it is.' "'Alas, no, dear Mrs. Redmain,' said Mary. "'Then you must find it,' she said, and turned away with an ominous-looking frown. "'I will do all I can to help you find it.' "'Oh, you must find it. My jewel-case was in your charge.' but there has been time to lose everything in it the one after the other since i gave it up the sapphire ring was there i know when i went that cannot be you gave me the box and i put it away myself and the next time i looked into it it was not there i wish i had asked you to open it when i gave it you said mary i wish you had said hesper but the ring must be found or i shall send for the police "'I will not make matters worse, Mrs. Redmain,' said Mary, with as much calmness as she could assume, and much was needed, by pointing out what your words imply. If you really mean what you say, it is I who must insist on the police being sent for.' "'I'm sure, Mary,' said Sepia, speaking for the first time since Hesper's entrance, "'that your mistress has no intention of accusing you.' "'Of course not,' said Hesper. "'Only what am I to do?' I must have my ring. Why did you come if you had nothing to tell me about it? How could I stay away when you were in trouble? Have you searched everywhere? Everywhere I can think of. Would you like me to help you look? I feel certain it will be found. No, thank you. I'm sick of looking. Shall I go, then? What would you like me to do? Go to your room and wait till I send for you. I must not be long away from my invalids, said Mary, as cheerfully as she could. "'Oh, indeed, I thought you'd come back to your work.' "'I did not understand from your letter you wished that, ma'am, "'though, indeed, I could not have come just yet in any case.' "'Then you mean to go and leave things just as they are?' "'I'm afraid there's no help for it, if I could do anything. "'But I will call again tomorrow, and every day till the ring is found, if you like.' "'Thank you,' said Hesper dryly. "'I don't think that will be of much use.' "'I will call anyhow,' returned Mary.' and inquire whether you would like to see me. I'll go to my room now, and while I wait we'll get some things I want. As you please, said Hesper. Scarcely was Mary in her room, however, when she heard the door which had the trick of falling to of itself closed and locked, and she knew she was a prisoner. For one moment a frenzy of anger overcame her. The next she remembered where her life was hid, knew that nothing could touch her, and was calm. When she took from her drawers the things she wanted, and put them in her handbag, she heard the door unlocked, but as no one entered she sat down to wait what would next arrive. Mrs. Redmain, as soon as she was aware of her loss, had gone in her distress to tell her husband, whose gift the ring had been. Unlike his usual self, he had showed interest in the affair. She attributed this to the value of the jewel, and the fact that he had himself chosen it. He was rather, and thought himself very knowing in stones and the sapphire was in truth a most rare one, but it was for quite other reasons that Mr. Redmain cared about its loss. It would, he hoped, like the famous carbuncle, cast a light all around it. He was as yet by no means well, and had not been from the house since his return. The moment Mary was out of the room, Hesper rose. "'I should be a fool to let her leave the house,' she said. "'Hesper, you will do nothing but mischief,' cried Sepia. Hesper paid no attention, but going after Mary locked the door of her room, and running to her husband's, told him she had made her a prisoner. 
No sooner was she in her husband's room than Sepia hastened to unlock Mary's door, but just as she did so, she heard someone on the stair above, and retreated without going in. She would have then turned the key again, but now she heard steps on the stair below, and once more withdrew. Mary heard a knock at her door. Mukes entered. He brought a request from his master that she would go to his room. She rose and went, taking her bag with her. "'You may go now, Mrs. Redmain,' said her husband when Mary entered. "'Get out, Mukes,' he added, and both lady and valet disappeared. "'So,' he said with a grin of pleasure, "'here's a pretty business. "'You may sit down, though. "'You haven't got the ring in that bag there.' "'Nor anywhere else, sir,' answered Mary. "'Shall I shake it out on the floor, or on the sofa would be better?' "'Nonsense!' You don't imagine me such a fool as to suppose, if you had it, you would carry it about in your bag? You don't believe I have it, sir, do you? She returned in a tone of appeal. How am I to know what to believe? There is something dubious about you. You have yourself all but admitted that. How am I to know that robbery mayn't be your little dodge? All that rubbish you talk down at Litchford about honesty and taking no wages and loving your mistress and all that rot. "'Looks devilishly like something off the square. "'That ring. "'Now the stone of it alone is worth seven hundred pounds. "'One might let pretty good wages go for a chance like that.' "'Mary looked him in the face and made him no answer. "'He spied a danger. "'If he irritated her, he would get nothing out of her. "'My girl,' he said, changing his tone, "'I believe you know nothing about the ring. "'I was only teasing you. Mary could not help a sigh of relief, and her eyes fell, for she felt them beginning to fill. She could not have believed the judgment of such a man would ever be of consequence to her. But the unity of the race is a thing that cannot be broken. Now, although Mr. Redmain was by no means so sure of her innocence as he had pretended, he did at least wish and hope to find her innocent, from no regard for her, but because there was another he would more glad to find concerned in the ugly affair. "'Mrs. Redmain,' he went on, "'would have me hand you over to the police, but I won't. "'You may go home when you please, and you need fear nothing.' "'He had the house where the Helmers lodged already watched, "'and knew this much, that someone was ill there, "'and that the doctor came almost every day. "'I certainly shall fear nothing,' said Mary, not quite trusting him. "'My fate is in God's hands.' "'Oh, we know all about that.' said Mr. Redmain. I'm up to most dodgers, but look here, my girl. It wouldn't be prudent in me, lest there should be such a personage as you have just mentioned, be hard upon any of my fellow creatures. I am one day pretty sure to be in misfortune myself. You mightn't think it of me, but I am not quite a heathen, and do reflect a little at times. You may be as wicked as myself, or as good as Joseph, for anything I know or care. For as I say, it ain't my business to judge you. Tell me now what you're up to and I will make it the better for you. Mary had been trying hard to get at what he was up to, but found herself quite bewildered. I, I'm sorry, sir, she faltered, but I haven't the slightest idea what you mean. Then you go home, he said. I will send for you when I want you. The moment she was out of the room, he rang his bell violently. Mukes appeared. Go after that young woman, do you hear? You know her, Miss... Damn it, what's her name? Harland or Cranston or, or, or hang it. You know well enough, you rascal. Do you mean Miss Marston, sir? 
why didn't you say so before go after her i tell you and make haste if she goes straight home you know where come back as soon as she's inside the door yes sir damn you go or you'll lose sight of her i'm a-listening after the street door sir it ain't gone yet there it is now and with the word he left the room mary was too much absorbed in her own thoughts to note that she was followed by a man with the collar of his greatcoat up to his eyes and a woollen comforter round his face she walked on steadily for home scarce seeing the people that passed her it was clear to mewks that she had not a suspicion of being kept in sight he saw her in at her own door and went back to his master end of chapter forty three mary and mr redmain recording by maria brooke